We're starting a new series today titled Once Upon a Time, Ancient Stories, Ageless Truths. And we're going to talk about some old stories. These are ancient stories from the Old Testament. Some of these stories go as far back as a thousand years before Christ. So they're old stories, but while the stories are ancient, the lessons they teach are ageless. That is to say, the lessons are still relevant for us today. They don't grow old, but they still have something to teach us today. Now the words, once upon a time, when you hear those words, don't they conjure up in your mind images of make-believe? Right? Once upon a time, there was a princess. But these stories that we're going to talk about in this series are anything but make-believe. When we hear the words, once upon a time... We expect that story to end with, and they lived happily ever after. But a lot of the stories we're going to talk about don't end that way. They don't have happy endings because these are real stories with real life human beings who made mistakes, made bad choices like we, we often do ourselves. And so many times they don't have happy endings because they reveal actions by, as I said, real life human beings that led to some disastrous uh, consequences. Yet it's in, those, it's in those actions that we find our lessons for our lives today. Now, since we almost always associate once upon a time with fairy tales, I thought it would be fun to start today testing our knowledge of fairy tales, some of the fairy tales we heard growing up. So I'm going to read some fairy tales from, from books, uh, you know, not from the movies is what I mean, but from the actual books. And uh, I'll read you three and see if you can guess. If you know what the fairy tale is, just go ahead and, and call it out. There is no Walmart gift card. If you answer it right, I'm sorry, just, just call it out, all right? Uh, so here's the first one. Once upon a time, and you can interrupt me if you, if you guess what it is. Once upon a time, there lived in a certain village a little country girl, the prettiest creature that was ever seen. Her mother was excessively fond. I think I heard it. Somebody say it? Say it. Little Red Riding Hood. Yeah, Carlos got it right. Her mother was excessively fond of her, and her grandmother doted on her still more. That's Little Red Riding Hood. I didn't know that when I first read it, for that first paragraph. The next two are easy, so you be quick, okay? Once upon a time, there lived a gentleman who married twice. His second wife was a widow with two grown-up daughters. Cinderella. Cinderella. Two grown-up daughters, both somewhat past their prime. The husband had by his first wife a child of his own. Cinderella. Okay, this, one, this next one I think is easy too. Once upon a time, far out in the wide sea, where the water is as blue as the loveliest cornflower and as clear as the purest crystal, where it is so deep that very, very many church towers must be heaped one upon another in order to reach from the lowest depth to the surface above, dwell the merpeople. Little mermaid. Little mermaid. Yeah. That's it. Carlos, boy. <laughs> he has another skill we didn't know about. Well, today I want to tell you another story, but this one is completely true. So let me tell you the beginning of this story. It goes like this. Once upon a time, a baby boy was born into a royal family. His grandfather was a king, and this baby boy was second in line to the throne. 
As such, he was born into privilege with a great future ahead of him. But alas, when he was five years old, tragedy struck. Both his grandfather and his father were killed in battle. And the boy's nurse, realizing the danger the boy was in, grabbed him and ran for safety. But in her haste, she dropped him and he fell to the ground, breaking both his legs. The lack of adequate medical care in those days meant he was crippled in both legs for the rest of his life. Now that's kind of sad. But um, sadly enough, it, it got worse after that because since he was an heir to the throne, and now his grandfather, who had been the king, was dead, and his father, who would have been the, the first one in line to the throne, was also dead. That meant, and he was just a five-year-old boy, that meant that the new king, a new king would take over the kingdom. And the custom was in those days that when there was a change in, in the monarchy, like there was in this case, that the new king would then kill all the family members, all the relatives, especially the sons of the previous, previous king to prevent any form of disloyalty, to prevent any type of uprising against the new king. So this boy then, who at one time had, had the world by its tail, was banished by these circumstances to a place called Lodabar, a barren desert land with no hope and no joy. So he went from being born into privilege, into royalty, to being banished to a dry desert land called Lodabar, where he lived at this, by this time, he has a son, he's married, he has a son, but he has no future in Lodabar. So things started off great, then they got bad, then they got worse. But this is where the story turns around for good. This is where things change, and, and boy, did they change. And we find this story in 2 Samuel chapter 9. And the new king is David. David is the new king who took over the previous king. This boy's grandfather was Saul. Saul was the very first king of Israel. He was a good-looking young man when he, took over, when he took over as king. He was head and shoulders above everybody else. But then he lost his way, and so God took the kingdom away from him, and he gave it to David. And so David became Saul's enemy. Saul tried many, many times to kill David, because he knew that David was going to eventually, or he, he, he guessed that David was going to take his throne. And so Saul had a son named Jonathan, and Jonathan had a son named Mephibosheth. And this is the boy that was born, in, born into privilege and royalty, who is now a crippled young man living in a place called Lodabar. So in 2 Samuel 9, we pick up the story. Verse 1, one day David asked, is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom... I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake. Now let me pause there and say, already this is unusual. That the new king would want to show kindness to the family of the previous king. 
As I said, most of the time the new king would kill all the members, especially the, the boys of the previous king in the previous king's family. But now he's saying, is there anyone in Saul's family still alive to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? And what's interesting, and here's what the story really was, you know, from the beginning was a little bit, was a little bit complex, is that Saul was a king and Saul hated David. But David's best friend was Saul's son, Jonathan. They were best friends. They loved each other. And so there was obviously some, some tension there. And so now he's saying, is there anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? And so he summoned, verse 2, he summoned a man named Ziba, who had been one of Saul's servants. Are you Ziba? The king asked. Yes, sir, I am, Ziba replied. The king then asked him, is anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show kindness to them. Ziba replied, yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive. He is crippled in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. In Lodabar, Ziba told him, at the home of Machir, son of Amiel. So David sent for him and brought him from Machir's home. His name was Mephibosheth. He was Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson. When he came to David, he bowed low to the ground in deep respect. David said, Greetings, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth replied, I am your servant. This story is a story of grace. It's a story of God's grace. The doctrine of God's grace is a, a doctrine that we read about in the New Testament. It's, it's taught by, by Paul in the New Testament in his letters to the Romans, to the Galatians, to the Ephesians. He, he, he delves deeply into this topic of grace. He expounds on it. It's an amazing uh, topic of God's grace. But... We wouldn't really expect to see God's grace being revealed in such a, a, a shining fashion as it is in this story way back in the Old Testament. And David, who, as I said, was, was a king, is a type of Christ. The fact that he showed God's kindness to a crippled Mephibosheth serves as an, as an illustration of God's grace that He shows to us as sinners. God's grace to fallen sinners, just the way that Paul teaches it in the New Testament, the way he spells it out, we see it illustrated in this story. Now this story takes place about halfway through David's reign. And perhaps David at this time was reflecting on his dear friend Jonathan, who had died in, in battle when the, the Philistines attacked Israel. Both Jonathan and his father Saul, the king, were killed, as well as other members of the family. And jo Jonathan and David, as I said, had been very, very close friends. And maybe he was reflecting about him. Maybe he was thinking about him. How many of you had, had close friends in high school that you think about once in a while? You think, I wonder what happened to him or her. Now, now with Facebook, we can stay in touch. And, uh, but uh, my very good friend in college, uh, my roommate, my best friend in college, I think he just fell off the face of the earth. I haven't been able to find him. And I think about him sometime, sometimes. I wonder what happened to, to David. 
You know, he, he always he was getting me in interesting situations. He's the one I told you a story about a few weeks ago. He, he got arrested, and I, and I inadvertently turned him in. Didn't mean to, but turned him in, and then I had to bail him out of jail. But uh, so David maybe was just reflecting. We don't know, but he, he thought about him, and then he, he asked this question, Is there anyone in Saul's family still alive to whom I can show kindness for my good friend Jonathan's sake? And so that really takes me to our first important uh, lesson, first point today. And that says that God's grace seeks us out when we're at our worst. God's grace seeks us out when we are at our worst. Because David sought out Mephibosheth. This crippled man deserved nothing. He was no longer an heir to the throne. He was, he was not asking for anything. He wasn't seeking David's favor. He didn't fill out and turn in an application to be considered for a position in the palace. In fact, we could say that he was basically in hiding. He was in this forgotten, uh, as we like to say, it's not true, but we like to say God-forsaken place, out away from the rest of civilization. He, he was perhaps hiding when the king found him. And so I said that David is a, is a type of Christ because Jesus is by nature a seeker. God is by nature a seeker. Jesus said that he came into the world to seek and to save that which was lost. In fact, he told three parables in a row in the book of Luke. Three parables, parables in a row. The only time we see in the Gospels where he, he chained three stories in a row with the same lesson and, and these were the, the stories of the, the lost sheep, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son. And he told those stories to make the point that he is by nature a seeker, looking for those who are lost, looking for those who are hurting, looking for those who are in despair, those who are lonely. And the reason that God seeks us out is because we're lost and we may not even know it. We may not even realize, we think everything's going to cake. We don't, we don't realize how far away from God's plan and God's purpose we are. Because a life without God is a life of lostness. It's a life of loneliness. It's a life of despair and hopelessness. And Mephibosheth is a picture of our condition apart from God. At this point in his life, he had nothing to live for. As I said, he was crippled, he was dispossessed from, from the land where he grew up, where he was born and he grew up. He's dispossessed away from where he should have been. He lived in Lodabar, and, and the name Lodabar means without pasture. Without pasture. Not the place of choice for anyone who wanted to experience life in its fullness. You and I probably wouldn't choose to live in Lodabar. If, if we had a choice to move somewhere, we wouldn't say, oh, I want to go to Lodabar. That'd be the last place we would go because it was a, a forsaken place. It was a sad place to live, had nothing to offer, especially for someone who had been born, into a, uh, been born in a palace into royalty and had had the best of everything for the first five years of his life. And I believe it's entirely possible that Mephibosheth lived a life of bitterness. Just... Thinking about what could have been and how he could have been the king 
of Israel. Maybe he resented David for being king in his place. I think that's entirely uh, possible. And that's where I think a lot of people find themselves today. Because maybe through wrong choices they've made, or maybe as a result of just life happening, you know, life happens to us. Maybe they find themselves living in lostness and loneliness and despair and, and hopelessness. Maybe they find themselves bitter when they, when they look across the street and their neighbor seems to have everything going their way. And, and they look at their lives and their struggles and how things haven't worked out the way that they've wanted, the way that they dreamed when they finished high school or they finished college or when they first got married, they, they, they thought things were just going to work out great and they haven't. And maybe there's some bitterness there, some questions to God. Why did you allow this to happen to me? And yet, look at, look at my, my neighbor, look at my coworker, and, and how come things always work out for them? We feel lost, we feel lonely, and despair, and, and hopeless. But God has an answer for our lostness and our loneliness. He has an answer for our despair and our hopelessness. And that answer is grace. Grace, His undeserved favor, His undeserved blessings. In other words, we don't receive God's blessing because we're so good, but because God is gracious, because God is kind. David said, is there anyone left in Saul's family that I can show kindness to? That's what God does. He shows us kindness when we don't deserve it. And God's grace is, is seeking you out today. That's why you're here today. Because God's grace is seeking you out. God is looking for you to draw you to Himself. To bring you from Lodabar to a place of blessing. To bring you from a place of barrenness and desert land to a place of blessing. You see, as young men, David and Mephibosheth's father, Jonathan, had been best friends. They, they had made a, a covenant, a pact. That they would show kindness to each other and to each other's family. And Jonathan really had the most to lose by making this pact with David. Because as I said, Jonathan was next in line to be the king. And yet he's agreeing with David who, who the king hated. Who was the king's enemy. His own father's enemy. He was agreeing with David to, to this pact that they would show kindness to each other and to each other's family. Because Jonathan was a humble young man, willing to accept God's plan for his life, whatever it might be. But now Saul and Jonathan are dead. David has full control of the kingdom now. He's in charge. What would he do? Had he forgotten his covenant with Jonathan? Had he forgotten about that? Was he just choosing to forget and to ignore it? Or maybe his way of showing kindness to Jonathan's family was to simply leave Mephibosheth alone, just I won't kill him, I'll just leave him alone. Maybe that was his way of, of showing kindness. We might say, well, that's good, David, that's not bad. You could have killed him, you left him alone. Thank you for doing that. But no, David had something else in mind. That wasn't enough. That wasn't enough. See, God's plan is, is, is not, He doesn't just want to let you just kind of move from day to day, situation to situation, and for you to kind of maintain your life. No, God has something better for you. He wants to bring you into abundance. He's not happy with main, you just maintaining your life where you are. And so David sought out Mephibosheth and had him brought to him. And again, a beautiful picture of God's grace and of Jesus, our Savior, who seeks us out 
when we're at our worst. And just as David became aware of Mephibosheth's situation, I want you to know that God is aware of your need. God doesn't have to ask anybody, is there anybody still alive from this family? Anybody still around from this situation? Situation? You know, anybody I can bless? God knows. He's aware of your pain. He's aware of your loneliness. He sees when, when you shed tears at night, when you toss and turn by the burdens, kept awake by the burdens in your life. He's aware and He still seeks out those in need and He still invites them to, from Lodabar to the king's table. He still invites them to leave Lodabar, to leave that place of barrenness, that desert place. And that brings me to my, my next point that I think we can draw out from the story. And that's this, that God's grace brings us from hopelessness to joy and from, from barrenness to abundance. His grace seeks us out when we're at our worst and it brings us from hopelessness to joy and from barrenness to abund- abundance. Look at verse 7. After Mephibosheth came before David, David says to him, don't be afraid. How many of you know that he had, Mephibosheth had reason to be afraid? He knew what the custom was. He had reason to be afraid. So David immediately calms his fears. Don't be afraid, David said. I intend to show kindness to you because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul. And you will eat here with me at the king's table. Mephibosheth bowed respectfully and exclaimed, Who is your servant that you should show kindness to a dead dog like me? Wow, when I read that, I feel so bad for Mephibosheth. I feel bad. I feel like, I don't, I don't want you to think that. Don't think that. You know, our granddaughter, Karis, made us feel bad a few weeks ago. Uh, Kelly told us a story. She's at this point now she's three years old always getting in trouble just she's learning you know she's starting to be defiant and she knows you know if you tell her don't touch him she'll go and start touching whomever you told her not to touch and uh, so she did something her parents got onto her and then she said this she said Jesus doesn't love me I'm like no it, we we felt bad. I know Kelly felt bad when she, and, and then she told us a story. We're like, no, we don't, want, we don't ever want you to think that. Jesus doesn't love me. No, He does love you. But sometimes we look at our lives and we say, I am so stupid. I am so dumb. What kind of idiot am I? What kind of father am I? What kind of husband am I? What kind of, what kind of worker am I? And we, just, we just put ourselves down. Mephibosheth said, who am I that you would show kindness to me, a dead dog? I'm just a dead dog. And dogs in uh, ancient Israel, dogs were not pets. You know, the way, we love our dogs today, don't we? Yeah, we love our dogs. Back then, I mean, that was the worst insult to consider someone a dog. So he's, look at the way he's talking about himself. I'm just a dead dog. Why do you want to do this to me? He was in a place of hopelessness, despair. But things are about to turn around because look at, look at the, uh, the next verse, verse 9. Then the king summoned Saul's servant Ziba and said, 
I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. Now David's talking to Ziba. Remember, Ziba had been Saul's servant. I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and servants are to farm the land for him to produce food for your master's household. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, will eat here at my table. And then a very important detail, Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Ziba replied, yes, my lord, the king, I am your servant and I will do all that you have commanded. And from that time on, Mephibosheth ate regularly at David's table like one of the king's own sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah. From then on, all the members of Ziba's household were Mephibosheth's servants. And Mephibosheth, who was crippled in both feet, lived in Jerusalem and ate regularly at the king's table. What a turnaround for Mephibosheth. David restored to him all the land, all the land that had belonged to Saul. And he provided for all his needs, including, get this, including placing Ziba's 15 sons and 20 servants at his disposal. Their job was to farm the land. Their job was to bring in the crops. And they treated him like royalty. Mephibosheth once again was treated like royalty. He had these 35 men at his disposal to do his work because he couldn't, he couldn't work to do all his work. He was treated like royalty once again. He was allowed to eat at the king's table regularly. Now to eat at the king's table was not just a temporary honor, but it literally meant that he would have a pension, as it were, from the king for the rest of his life. He was taken care of. He was cared for. He was loved. He was respected. He was brought into abundance. He would always eat, always eat at the king's table. So David's kindness to him would continue, not just for a moment, but for a lifetime. Suddenly, this man who had been forgotten, who had been ignored, who had been left out, this man knew this wonderful feeling of being accepted, not being forgotten. Suddenly, he was no longer in Lodabar, the place of barren as a desert place, but now he's eating at the king's table. He knew the joy of being brought into a family. He knew the warmth of love once again, the contentment that comes when someone cares. See how completely his restoration was. From Lodabar, without pasture, to the king's table. Think about that. Think about that because that's what God wants to do with you today. He wants to restore everything that the enemy has taken from you. He wants to restore your joy and your peace. He wants to give you hope and abundance. And maybe even right now you might find yourself callous. You might find yourself indifferent because life has been hard. You might be thinking, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't sign up to struggle this way. I didn't sign up to be treated like this. Well, I want to remind you that God is calling you. God has sought you out. God cares about you. He's calling out to you. And He's inviting you. He's inviting you to His table, to the King's table. Because God only wants to show you kindness. He only wants to show you His grace. 
But here's the thing about God's grace. Here's the thing about God's kindness. It can be rejected. We can reject God's grace. We can reject God's kindness. How different this story would have been if Mephibosheth had refused to go when David sent for him. I mean, this must have been a scary moment for him. I mean, can you imagine? He, as I said, he might have been thinking, what does the king want? Will he kill me? Will he kill my son, Micah? He might have chosen to just stay there. But think about this. If he had not gone in, he would have stayed in Lodabar the rest of his life and he would have died in that barren place. But he didn't reject the invitation. And I'm encouraging, encouraging you today, don't reject God's invitation today. Why do you want to stay where you are apart from God? Why do you want to stay in Lodabar when he's inviting you to the king's table? You know, there's something else of, of importance here, and that is, is that when Mephibosheth responded to David's invitation, he did it for himself, but he also did it for his son. Have you ever thought that when you respond to God's invitation, you're not only doing it for yourself, but you're doing it for your children and grandchildren? Maybe children you don't even have yet, but you're, you're establishing a precedent for responding to God. Maybe grandchildren you don't have yet, but you're, you're setting a pattern for responding to God's invitation, giving your life to God. So when they come into the picture, they can follow that pattern. They can follow that path that you set for them. He was concerned not just about himself, but about his son, Micah. And when you respond to God's invitation, you make it easier for someone else also to respond to God. Think about that. As you consider an invitation to, to give your life completely over to God. Completely over to God. Make a, a decision to follow Jesus Fully surrendered completely all the days of your life. Why would, you want, why would you want to follow him halfway when he offers you a, a life of abundant joy? You know, things would have been different if Mephibosheth had not been injured. A lot of times we think, well, God, if, if I didn't have all the struggles I have now, it'd be so much easier to... To follow you. If I didn't have all the problems I have now. I, I could just follow you. Well I don't know if that's necessarily true. If Mephibosheth hadn't been crippled. Then I don't think he would have found him place. Would have found himself in the place. At the end of the story. At the king's table. Like he did. If he had been strong. He might have decided to rebel against the king. He might have decided to attack the king. Saying that's my position. That's my throne. But because he, he was hurting, because he was in pain, because he was in a hopeless situation, he was open to the invitation. So don't minimize the value of the struggles you go through. God may want to use those things to draw you to Him. And so today, I want you to evaluate your life and say, am I living in Lodabar? You could be living in the nicest house in the nicest street of the best city in the world. But you could still be in Lodabar. And God invites you to the king's table today.